It's like he just wants to be recognized for the hard work that if, he does, but nobody exactly. cares. If he could get one employee of the month plaque, he'd be all right. Hello, fellow geeks. Welcome to the Story Geeks podcast, and thank you for joining us. You are part of a small but influential group of people we call Story Geeks. Fans of science fiction, fantasy, and comic books who love to dig deeper into geek stories to see how they impact us and the culture around us. These aren't just stories that help us escape. These stories shape our world. How? That's what we're discussing today. Don't forget to click the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future Story Geeks content. And as always, we want to hear from you. So follow us on Facebook or Twitter and send us your thoughts and opinions by commenting or emailing. If you like this podcast, be sure to share it with a geek friend. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Shear, and this podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. For more information about the Story Geeks podcast and other Reclamation Society projects, visit www.reclamationsociety.org. Now, let's dive into this week's episode. Cassian's character starts the film doing whatever needs to be done in order to achieve the rebellion's desired result. So in your mind, and Shannon, I'm going to start with you first on this one. In your mind, as it pertains to Cassian or Saw Gerrera or the rebellion at large or even for Jin, what's the relationship between doing the right thing and doing whatever you need to, even if it's the objectionable thing, in order to get a better result? See, this is really interesting to me because you really do see this come to a head in Rogue One because Cassian does talk about how he's done terrible things and how others have done terrible things. Like, they've been assassins, they've been spies, they've just done all of these things that really aren't the right thing to do and they are morally objectionable, but they are for the greater good. And then they see the resistance kind of start to fall apart and they're not going to keep like they're not going to attack Scarif they're going to just kind of retreat and dissolve into the background and he doesn't want his stuff to be for nothing so I do kind of think that as long as you believe in what you're doing then there is something to be said for this may not be like the best thing like it may be you know like morally gray or whatever but this is for the greater good and good will come of it and I do believe in it. But once you take that away and everything you've done is for nothing, then really what were you even doing it for in the, for in the first place? So mm. it does kind of sound weird, but as long as you have your reasoning and it doesn't go awry somewhere, which you can never predict, it does, there is something to be said for doing things this way. Mm. Mm. What do you think, Cannibal? Well, um, just looking at the, the 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 content itself, I don't really think. I mean, Cassian changed uh, that perspective so much. He says, "I'm gonna do whatever it takes," including shooting this guy who trusts me in the start of the movie. And at the end, he's like, "I'm gonna do whatever it takes," including disobeying orders and murdering a bunch of people on a planet who've truthfully never seen me. And her, many of them are really just doing their jobs. So, <laughs> um, a lot of I don't believe a lot. Uh, so <laughs> I don't really think Cassian's perspective in that regard changed. I think the one uh, looking at what Shannon was saying in terms of what was all for at the end, someone I can see saying that is Palpatine when he's getting thrown down the pit in Return of the Jedi. Like, oh, wow, I did all this and this didn't work out at all. You know, I mean, yeah, it did fine for 30 years, but 
this is not really the plan I had to be throwing down a reactor core of a, a, a battle station. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's not the that's not the peaceful end that you you hope for. But I don't that's know true. that that is available to the Sith. So in that regard, you know, uh, I, one of my upper, one of the upperclassmen in college told me while I was in school, if you feel good about feeling bad about doing the wrong thing, it's probably okay. Uh, which I took as gospel for a long time because I was a, kind of a horrible person. And as I realized he was also kind of a morally reprehensible person, I was like, all right, maybe that's going too far. Um, mm. there, are, there are times when doing whatever it takes is what's necessary to win. You know, we've seen it in the last presidential election in terms of colluding with the Russians or whatever. We've seen it in terms of uh, Star Wars multiple times, multiple characters making that decision to do whatever it takes, including, you know, Luke saying, I'm going to kill everybody at Jabba's Palace just because I need to get Han back. <laughs> you know, okay, did you have to kill everybody? I mean, everybody on that ship was just, some of those, were, they were just at work. <laughs> that was just their day. <laughs> so... <laughs> When I look that at things, true. I'm I'm just saying. So uh, there's there's an enormous amount of civilians killed in the name of doing the right thing. Of the thirty thousand people on the Death Star, everybody wasn't a jerk. I'm just saying. Yeah. That's statistically well, and there, there impossible. There is something to be there is something to be said too of like losing your way. It's like you get this death grip on what you see and what you want and you're willing to do whatever it takes and at some point you finally take a step back and realize that everything you've been doing is not at all like this is not what you wanted this is not how you were going to build peace and it, it is interesting because I feel like the rebellion was starting to go in that direction just a little bit because they were losing their hope, they were losing their way, but they still wanted to take down the empire. And we saw them kind of get that back and kind of like refocus and realize like, no, wait, like we need to be doing this thing. Um, but I do see that like you, you, it's such a balancing act because you don't want to lose your way and like stop and like the, you don't want to like, I'm trying to think of how to put this, like, um, Doing the right thing can sometimes seem like the wrong thing to other people, and you can lose your way in that you were trying so hard to be good that you come off bad. So it is mm. this weird, like, gray area that I think the rebellion was starting to dance around. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because that's a new direction that uh, they're taking with Star Wars Mythos through the Rebel show with the Bindu, the force that sits in between the light and the dark. He's like, I don't really want to choose sides. I don't want to yada, yada, yada. And when he was ultimately driven... Uh, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> when, when the Bindu was ultimately driven to action, it was through, again, mutual profit. Kanan uh, uh, Jarrus told him, "Is like, well, you can sit here and do this, but the Empire's coming, and they're going to kill everything, and they're going to mess up everything, including stuff that you already like. So mm. if you don't want them to happen, you may want to use your force powers and be awesome and maybe bring down a lightning storm to scare the hell out of uh, 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 Thrawn. So <laughs> uh, when that happens, again, it, it falls back to mutual profit. So it, am I going to say somebody was wrong? Uh, let me say that a different way. It's hard to tell the winners that the way that they won was wrong. It is. Yeah. Uh, but it is... Uh, it is within each own, each person's individual moral code, their individual sense of right and wrong, to say, did I go too far? Is this a pyrrhic victory? Have I spent too much in winning this? For Vader, set in flames on Mustafar, too far, dude. Went too far. Yeah, a little too far. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Palpatine, he got a good 30-year 30, 30 run out of it, which ain't bad. I'm not going to say that's bad, but I don't know. I don't For, for everything to fall into messes of Star Destroyers on Jakku, eh, I don't know if it was all really worth it. I don't know. That's a lot of dead bodies, dude. It's a lot. <laughs> and hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? Very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's one line, and I love I love the fact that you guys are are kind of wrestling with it the way because I basically it's exactly the way that I was wrestling with it because I would just <laughs> I would like go back and forth right I'd be like oh yeah well you can't do that just to win and I was like yeah but then if you're in a battle like how do you you know so there, there's it's definitely a gray area there's no question about that the one thing that I think um, I'd throw in there as it relates to Cassian specifically is that he has this moment where he says when I think of the things when I think of what I've done I don't want that all to be for nothing um and that occurs to me that he is living with a burden that he finds it incredibly difficult to bear and makes me believe that he's crossed his own lines to get there mm-hmm. um mm. and i think that that's one of the things that it, it bears thinking about right because like obviously palpatine doesn't have any burdens <laughs> whatsoever mm. like he just doesn't care um, but for somebody like Cassian, who's actually trying to do the right thing, he has had to do, he's had to make compromising decisions even to what he would have liked to do. And now it's like, well, now I've got to win. And it occurred to me that if the movie were to end there and they did not steal the Death Star plans, mm-hmm. then Cassian's journey is even more tragic than it is in the film. Because he literally just has a type B story where he just does all the wrong things and then just dies. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a message for us, just a warning for us, like figure out what it is that you want your life to be about. And then, you know, like I know nobody's perfect, but pursue those things, like use that motivation to pursue those things. But the ca- character must count for something, too. So um, I don't know. And I'm. <laughs> I'm wrestling with it, but yeah. well, there's got to yeah. be some mix of that. I've made my share of decisions in this regard to this question. Uh, and, you know, I believe that in terms like of the old D&D alignment chart that, you know, while Cassian's more chaotic good, he may break some rules to do good. Uh, right. I've always fallen on the side of lawful evil where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do some bad things, but it's they like, fall within yeah, my code. You know, you know that, I mean, they fall uh, within my, you know, I'm like, yes, there were civilians, <laughs> but... But they were civilians on a jerk planet, so it's really not my fault. So, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. and you're going to be put in in positions where, you know, I mean, like if even if you're, uh, even if you're a pacifist, there are times when you might be provoked to join a war of some kind, right? Like mm-hmm. because there, again, it's a gray area. There, there are times when it's like, how am I going to just stand by and let something happen? Even if I'm a pacifist, there's no way I can just stand by and let this happen. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So it's just it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, but I do think it's good. Those decisions, if they're driven by your character and they're driven by your value system, then at least you know, like I might be unlawfully or uh, I might be unlawfully good, right? Is that the, is that the category? Lawful, uh, I think the casting is closer to chaotic evil. You, lawful good is like the yeah. super goody goodies. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be um, unlawfully good. Let's call it that. Like, right? I'm gonna do good things, but the law is actually against what. Um, I don't know the D and D charts. Chaotic well, good. It's chaotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chaotic, chaotic good. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but then you've got to know as well. Like, well, where did I cross into bad? 
Like right. you've got to know that. So you can be chaotic, but you got to know where your where your bad line is. Otherwise, you will come away feeling like Cassian feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, like he didn't know when his line was crossed, but he felt it long after it had passed and he realized that, you know, he he was losing sight of himself and if if all if everything he did was for nothing then you know who even is he anymore exactly he didn't want to come yep. to the end of the day and say oh my god i'm in the wig party i need more than this <laughs> i'm a wig <laughs> yes <laughs> hashtag don't be a wig <laughs> that's awesome uh Cool. That was an awesome discussion. So let's 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 dig in a little deeper because we're going to go to the next question, which is as a follow up to that question, what do you think about the way the rebellion is acting here? Is it surprising to see them condoning morally gray or even morally wrong actions? What do you think, Hannibal? Well, here I believe we culture again has has made a big indication here. In the same way that when George wrote this, this was a very simple tale of you know good versus evil. Even as I said, with the multiple civilians dying, uh, that uh, or Gene Roddenberry, who had a very clear lines about what was good, what was wrong. As we go on, and more people interpret these stories, they get into morally great things that reflect the times we're in. That we got Section Thirty One in Star Trek. The the morally super gray intelligence arm of the Federation, and we get okay. The rebellion, maybe we're good guys, and maybe we're gonna shoot a guy in the alley because he can't climb, and we don't want to get caught. Um, we see these compromises as we, as a culture, have become compromised. The simple, uh, you know, the idea of Captain America punching Hitler on the face of a comic now is quaint and adorable because those kind of simple lines can't be drawn for as much as we want to say oh blah 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 we're against you know extremist terrorists and blah blah those are people who have seen their values trampled on those are people who have seen their holy lands have american tanks roll through them so are they really wrong or just because of their methods or are we saying that we are right and they are wrong in an absolute sense when you get into those sorts of questions you get away from the basics of a hero's journey the basics of the kind of power myth joseph campbell stuff and into more murky storytelling um i believe with that that uh i'm not surprised to see the rebellion do that i'm not surprised to see it all because those are the things that you know, were probably happening that George really didn't want to talk about. George really didn't want to get into that. You know, that's not the, you know, American graffiti aesthetic that he, you know, came from or wanted for his life or what he was doing. So mm-hmm. for me, I'm not surprised to see it, but I am sometimes concerned culturally about seeing it in terms mm-hmm. of the fact that the more we wallow in this gray, the harder it is to choose a side. The harder it is to say one day, you know, really... Am I am I lawful? Am I chaotic evil, or am I, I really? I'm sorry. Am I lawful evil, or am I really chaotic good? How mm. am I going to decide? Mm. How will I define mm. these things if I can't really tell what's the difference out in the world? You know, uh, mm. how can I tell? You know, a young kid uh, uh, in a mentoring program who says, "Hey, you know, I want to get into politics. I want to be well. Okay, you have to carry yourself in a certain way." He's like, "No, I don't. The president doesn't." Right. right. So, you know, uh, all of a sudden misogyny's back on the table. Racism's back on the table. Transphobia's mm-hmm. back on the table. Wait, what? No. <laughs> right. So True. I'm not surprised to see the rebellion say, acting this way. But from a, a cult, from a fan standpoint, I enjoy seeing the breadth of the story. But from a cultural standpoint, especially as a father, I'm like, 
I think we need to, you know, also play some more, you know, some more straight straight chords, not the minor chords here. I'm just saying. Mm. 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 Yeah, I will say I do agree with you on that, that it does make it harder for you yourself to draw the lines. But um, like I said before, I am a big reader and I cannot stand it when any kind of story is like, this bad guy is bad because he's evil for the sake of being evil. And these guys are the good guys because they're the good guys and they're good. Like, I cannot stand that. I love seeing when stories demonstrate that life is complicated because it is like it's very messy sometimes like doing the right thing can kind of make you come away from it going was this really the right thing like looking back at it like is this like where i wanted to be and it is very interesting i love seeing like characters deal with these morally gray actions because that is kind of like how life is life is very complicated life is very messy and i like seeing that over the these are the good guys these are the bad guys and good always triumphs over evil because sometimes it's more complicated than than that and i do think that rogue one brings this into the star wars universe because that is one thing that bothered me in the original uh, in the original trilogy because it was always like, yay, we're the rebellion and we're going to beat the bad guys. And I really like seeing that it's a war and this is life and it's very complicated. It's very messy, but we're trying everything we can to hopefully find what's good for the galaxy. And likewise, in, in the same vein, you can see some of that building with Krennic. Krennic is clearly a villain. There's no question. I believe even in Krennic's mind that he's a bad guy. He's, he runs the whole peace and order for the galaxy, blah, blah, line of the Empire. But I don't believe he believes that at all, you know, based on his action, <laughs> right. based on the life that he leads, based on how far he's willing to go just to get his job done, you know, just to one-up, just to one-up Tarkin, who he hates. Uh, so in that, you know, he is very clearly a villain. He's very clearly divine as a villain, but we know why. We know, I mean, especially if you've gone into the books, that he's this working class guy who's worked his way up, whereas Tarkin's an appointee, and their rivalry is a thing of legend, and that every time he gets ahead, <laughs> Tarkin yanks the, the football off from in front of him like Lucy with Charlie Brown. <laughs> Quite literally. literally yeah. So, you know, and, and for his comeuppance, for all the horrible things he did in the name of trying to get his job done, in the name of trying to get his own personal glory, to look up and see his personal glory then destroy him, that's the perfect villain's arc. That's the yeah. perfect villain's arc. Uh, it is, uh, he's, he, the only problem here morally is that. In this movie, the Empire is presented as bad, but only slightly less bad than some of the things that the Rebels are doing. Because, you know, that general was like, I don't care what she said, you're going to kill this guy. He was wrong. You know, <laughs> he was wrong. Because if you bring Galen back, there's significantly better intelligence. Like he would, the, the lack of clear organization in the Rebellion, in my mind, to bring it back, again, leads to the failures that led to the resistance of the First Order in the first place. The failures mm. that let, fail to make a better galaxy for Leia's children to grow up in and eventually not be a schmuck in. Yeah, mm. I agree with that. Mm. Well, I have to say that those two takes were amazing, and I don't think I have anything to add <laughs> at all <laughs> to that. So we will just keep moving on. But I love those two takes because at the same time, I do feel like, um, you know, from Hannibal's perspective, like, yeah, what are we saying is 
what are we saying ultimately is black and white where it's clearly wrong and clearly right, but also Shannon, your take, and I resonate with this as a writer, especially is how do we show the complexity of the real world and not just make it so black and white? Cause it isn't, um, two amazing takes. So love that. Star Wars fans, we are giving away two very special Star Wars prizes to Reclamation Society email subscribers. If you subscribe to the Reclamation Society's email updates, you are entered to win the Art of Rogue One. But thanks to a special donation from Daryl Smith, who is also one of the other hosts of the Story Geeks podcast, we have a second prize, a never-before-watched copy of The Phantom Menace on VHS. That means we have two super cool collector's items, and all you have to do is subscribe to our email updates. Which, by the way, you should do anyways. So, go visit www.reclamationsociety.org, and you can enter to win there. The link is in the show notes, so go subscribe now! There are no Jedi in Rogue One, but some of the film's characters believe that the Force is still active. So my question for you guys, and I'll start with you, Shannon, first. Do you think any of Rogue One's characters are Force-sensitive? Why or why not? Well, this might my answer might dip a little bit into question eight as well, but I do actually believe that Chirrut might be Force-sensitive, but I'm not sure if he's aware of it because I would say that he's very aware that he's force sensitive just because of how we see him move how he acts like he's blind but you know he can do all of these amazing things but we see him pray very heavily throughout the film you know like I'm only with the force the force is with me like he's very clearly has this death grip on his faith in the force and he's not for one second going to let it up so my thought is is that maybe he thinks that the reason he can do these things is because he believes so strongly in the force kind of that you know like clap your hands if you believe in fairies kind of thing but it's very interesting because i think that he is sensing it with the force but in his mind it's his strong belief that's allowing him to do these things Hmm. interesting what do you think hannibal well i am not i honestly when i looked at truth uh, I honestly thought he was Daredevil, um, uh, based <laughs> on the way that you know they did the scene when he's in the circle of stormtroopers and he sent he, he, the the slight shift of footing and he hears the gravel and the the clink. He's of an the... earthbender. <laughs> well, I don't know if he's got that kind of power, but um, <laughs> I do believe that there is an element of uh, there is an element of of ability that his senses have come to because he's blind. On the other hand, when I look at Bayes, whose aim is supernatural with a hand cannon, you know, uh, could his aim just be that good? Possibly. They say Poe's that good a pilot, and he's certainly nobody nobody with the force. But um, there's also, and this has been stated in some of the canonical works, a level of force use uh, that binds the entire galaxy together. No matter who you are, the force Mm -hmm. is there. It doesn't care if you believe or not, the force is there. So, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know... uh, I also don't know enough about the Guardians of the Wills and how they were chosen because somebody said to me that it was possible that they were like 
in the same way a Jedi librarian can't be a master and so on and so forth, that they were people who washed out of, as Jedis, basically. And they're like, well, this is still a way mm. that you can serve the Force. You're not that forcey, but you're not forcey enough to be a mogul. <laughs> let's, let's... It's like, you're just slightly forcey. Exactly. It's <laughs> diet forcey. Pseudo forcey. There you go. But... Forcey light. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I don't know that they are separate from the Force in as much as anyone can be, as the way as it binds the whole universe together. But... I don't know if I'd be ready to, you know, do that little test that Windu did with a, a, a Anakin, where it's like it's a speeder and it's a ball or it's a this that, you know, because prescience <laughs> is a different thing. There's multiple gifts that the Force brings, from telekinesis to prescience to so on and so forth. And I don't know that they've got enough of that to say uh, Chirrut's uh, martial arts or Baze's shooting was based in that. But I do believe that they are very well trained and that. From a practical standpoint, the difference between those two things is immaterial. The, I, I, what's funny is I agree with you both. I do think that Chirrut is definitely force sensitive. Um, I think it's, I think you guys mentioned all the areas that make me believe that. The, oh, the one area that you didn't mention that I think is probably he feels the force moving around Cassian because he says. Um, the dark side of the force uh, or the force moves darkly around someone who's about to kill um, which means he has some connection to the force that clearly no one else in that room has unless he was lying um, it, it, that's true <laughs> unless he's yeah. just full of it yeah, yeah <laughs> it's true that's very true um, I also uh, think that there is a possibility that Jin is force sensitive again not Jedi level force sensitivity and by the way I do think we can all agree that calling it forcey um, <laughs> and not midichlorians is the way we should go. Needs from now to be on. canon. Yeah. <laughs> I'll allow it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> um, so my take on Jin is that uh, now I'm not saying that she's definitely force sensitive at all, but it's interesting to me because her family has talked about trusting in the force ever since she was a little girl. She actually has a kyber crystal that she carries with her. Um, there's one moment in the film where she seems to be praying over the kyber crystal um, and then goes on to do this like super cool stuff. So whether or not she's force sensitive or just has a deep connection to the force where, the, where she allows the force to move her, kind of like as you were saying, Hannibal, like allows the force to move her mm. as opposed to she dictating what the force does, so to speak, um, could be an interesting take on it too. But... Those are the only two I had, although I do think your case for Bayes is an interesting one as well. Yeah, I hadn't heard that one before. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. He's a hell of a shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he sure, sure is. <laughs> <laughs> so that transitions us nicely into this next question, which is all about what's your take on how Rogue One treats faith in the Force? What do you think, Hannibal? Well, I believe that the faith in the Force is shown to carry someone through as much as faith in a Death Star is shown to carry someone through, or faith in a Star Destroyer, or faith in a blaster, or faith in yourself. Uh, that however you are able to motivate yourself to do the, the most that you can do is whatever it is. Uh, I believe that the Force, and this is something that you brought up about Jen with her family's quote-unquote faith in the Force in this regard, that it's not because, like a Jedi, it's a tool available to them. It's that it's an overarching belief in the same way that, you know, Christians don't believe that they can, you know, call forth floods or, or rains of frogs, but they believe mm. uh, in the tenets and the, and the values of a power that can do that. Mm. Uh, 
the kyber crystal is just you know she had access to it you know everybody can't get a kyber crystal she could uh because <laughs> their their friend happened to be living on jetta so hey you have a crystal yeah uh <laughs> so i believe that faith is seen as uh something that can push you through and, and this goes back to what i said about the rebellion itself that when the rebellion shows not to cower in fear of the possibility of destruction but instead said I'm going to act no matter what. They were able to win the day. Now, did they lose, I don't know, probably half of their fleet? Sure. But, <laughs> you know, mm. ships come, ships go, 30,000 civilians get blown up in a Death Star, whatever. Um, <laughs> if you believe strong enough, then you can, you know, you can hit that exhaust port. You can get those plans off of Scarif. You can do whatever it is that you need to do. And if you want to call that the Force, that's fine. Uh, and if you want to call that yourself, that's also fine. Because again, the force doesn't need your belief. It's not looking mm. for your belief. Mm. It's not interested in your belief. Mm. And as mm. such, that is the true power of it. That unlike, you know, the idea of the American gods with Neil Gaiman, belief doesn't change how much power <laughs> the force has. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about like how they use their faith to, push them along like they're using that to fall back and say like you know like I believe and they're using that to like get them through it but mm. something that I have noticed with Chirrut and Baze is that they almost mirror each other because um, Chirrut does say something about how Baze used to be like one of like I don't remember exactly how he said it but it was like one of like the biggest worshippers or something or like the greatest of them all mm. something like Most that most faithful, that's right, yeah. But then we see that that's not really true anymore. And what's interesting is I think in this fallout of, you know, their temple of, like, they, they don't have anything to be, like, guardian, guardianing over, guarding <laughs> over words. How do they work? Um, you know, now we see that Chirrut has taken on this role of he now has a death grip on his faith. And that is... That's that's what he has, and that's all he has. So that is what he's going to use to get him through things. Whereas Baze has kind of let go of his faith; like he doesn't believe in that anymore. And he's he got a good. <laughs> is kind of yeah. yeah. He thinks Chirrut is kind of you know not necessarily ridiculous, but definitely not thinking too clearly. That he's has this like immense faith in the Force. So it's really interesting to see how in this fallout how people can fall from faith or just get this grip on it and they're not going to let go. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, those are again, two great takes. And I, I think I would fall in alignment with both of them. Um, it, it, what, just to build off what you're talking about, Shannon, like it, as I look around and I, I like to, I would like to consider myself a very spiritual person. Um, and, I, <laughs> and I'm around a lot of people who are, and, and honestly, I feel like I could always be more spiritual, but, um, I think that Rogue One treats faith probably with the with the best, uh, most fair version of what we would see in the real world. Because like you're talking about with Bayes, um, and by the way, I like how you pronounce Chir Chirrut. Is that how you say it? Chirrut? I don't even know how to pronounce Chirrut? that. Now that Is that about how you do it? Yeah. That's how Bayes said I, it. Yeah, I, I think it's like yeah, Chirrut, but I'm not sure. Yeah, no, no, no I'm going to go with you because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I know that I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, so I'm totally cool with that. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> so, but no, I think that that's like, it's the fact that you act, we actually are encountering a character who 
so we had Han Solo, right? Who said like, it's a hokey religion, right? Like it's not something that I'm interested in. But the fact that we see somebody who had a deep seated faith and now who doubts that faith. I mean, I see these people in real life, right? Like I encounter these people in real life. And yet we also encounter those people who like, like Trude, who have now actually taken on the faith that Bayes used to have. And is actually trying to encourage his friend in that um, to the point where he's willing to take a step of faith out towards the switch and pray the entire time. And that's the part of the movie that between the interaction between those two, how that action on Chirut's point brings Bayes back to faith and how they're taking that step together. I mean, that's an amazing experience. Um, that kills me. Yeah. yeah, it kills me every time. That's yeah. the point where I get emotional every single time. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just so good. It's such a powerful moment of the film. So I love that aspect of it. Now, we'll transition quickly into, do you think that the the way the Force is treated in Rogue One expands, or how is it related to how the saga films treat the Force? So if, and if so, does it, if it does kind of expand upon that nature of the Force, how is it doing so? What do you think, Shannon? I kind of think that it does like like you said it treats it as more of a like real religion like it is something that's always there it you know like it has been proven that it is a thing that exists but in this time you know where we haven't had jedi where people are starting to think that you know like the jedi you know maybe weren't even like a thing it's so interesting to see that people still have this hope and still have this faith that you know the force is there and you know that there are young you know force users out there that are you know like sensing these things and feeling these things and they don't have like a way to guide them and i think it's really interesting that they're showing that these people are still out there and they still have faith in the force and they're really introducing it as kind of a religion because i'm not really like a religious person but i'm very fascinated in how it works and how you know like the faith and everything works out so Mm. i really like how they were showing the force in that way in this film yeah definitely how about you hannibal in that regard i believe that this shows the force is more of a peripheral aspect in most people's lives because even on Jeddah, where there was a temple and where there was, you know, kyber crystals and uh, clearly, you know, there'd been a Jedi presence for a long time. The average person was like, yeah, I'm trying to fry up this weird animal, dude. I'm trying to sell this for some... <laughs> I got to eat and I need money and life is going on. With yeah, it's or... like, I got bigger problems. Exactly. Yeah. With or without those guys with lightsabers. And, you know, that's, that's all cute and all, but that doesn't have anything to do with my real life. So it treats mm. the Force as a peripheral aspect. What's... Um, the peripheral aspect of it that they don't understand is how it, it has shaped their lives nonetheless. That without an enormously powerful force user from Naboo, you know, their planet might still be habitable, you know, by the time we get uh, past this, <laughs> past the next trilogy. Uh, mm. the, the effects of the, again, like I said, the force doesn't need your belief. Uh, and the effects of it are felt in people's lives even if they don't recognize it. So the ones who do recognize it are able to possibly get uh, as Obi-Wan said, a glimpse into a larger world, uh, or their first step into a larger world, rather. But um, for everybody else, it's just they are being affected by it in the same way that, you know, in a, a, a uh, what do you call it? What is this? The swamps, that the lily pads move around based on the water that's going around, but they have no control over how the water moves themselves. Mm. 
That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really like, yeah, I really like both those things. In fact, as you started to talk, Hannibal, and you started talking about how the Jedi are missing here, mm-hmm. I think that that gives us a view of the Force that we have not seen previously because we've really seen the Force through the Jedi lens, mm-hmm. right? Like, even though Han called it a hokey religion, we were clearly shown that it was not hokey, right? Like, yeah, it was pretty obvious that it was there. awesome. Yeah, exactly. And um, and if you were a Jedi, man, like, it was super advantageous to you. Except so, for the fact that you were being I hunted think, down in that period. But other than that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's <very> true, too. <laughs> yeah, that is true, too. It was advantageous to you from one standpoint, but as long as you could stay in a remote area of Tatooine or Dagobah, <laughs> then you were good. Um but yeah, so I think we see a different perspective on it this time around, and I really like that we see that perspective because it does feel, again, it feels more real to us as opposed to the, how it's felt previously, which is sort of more as a magic thing that helps out a certain number of people that can control it. But like you're saying, Hannibal, that's not really how it is. It actually can move everybody. Yep. Um, and the fact that they even added, we've seen meditation before, and I think that that's a really uh, valid, great spiritual practice. What I don't think we'd really seen before, before Rogue One, was the aspect of prayer. Because it, yeah. and I know you can ask, like, okay, well, what's the difference between meditation and prayer? That's like There's a whole a other podcast. And, big difference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I would say, like, we see prayer in this film, um, and we've seen meditation before. That's an aspect of the Force that we had not seen. And that just makes the Force sort of richer, in my opinion. In episode one, uh, when Qui-Gon was waiting for the force fields to open, he was meditating. He uh, went inside, yeah. and that's the difference between meditation and prayer. Meditation uses the same root as medicine. It is a self-based uh, thing, whereas prayer is you're pleading to an external power. You're trying to connect to something outside yourself. And we've seen examples of Yoda and Qui-Gon and multiple people meditating and communing, as they said, with the Force. Uh, which right. you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know if uh, I don't know if Chirut could get a signal, but he was definitely trying to put that call through. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, he was yes. trying with all his might. You know, it's like I, I just, I need help, man. It's like I really do like that they introduced that because it was kind of seeing it as once the Jedi had been removed, people are seeing the Force as something you know removed from them, not something that is still guiding them exactly and and i and i I, this is probably a really controversial thing especially for someone who's made a star wars fan film about a couple jedi but jedi are actually some of my least favorite characters in the star wars universe Mm -hmm. they're kind of schmucks um yeah 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 they kind of they kind of suck they kind of treated anakin (laughs) pretty bad um kind of the reason this all happened from their families yeah yeah Yeah, it's kind of a cult Or as we talked about in the Phantom Menace podcast, they literally roll up on people who are practicing slavery and pretty much do nothing about it. So yeah. that seems like a big issue. <laughs> Hashtag Palpatine yeah. was right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this one's not going to be as deep of a question. Um, this is a little bit more fun. Who are your favorite and least favorite Rogue One characters and why? Hannibal, what do you think? Oh, that, there's the, the, at the top of that list, no question, K2. Because Alan Tudyk's performance as K2 <laughs> was epic to me. I've gotten really into Triple Zero <laughs> and uh, BT in the uh, Star Wars comics now. And the idea of this droid who's just really just over it. He's just so over it. I mean, I, I love mm. K2 
so much. The, the, there's a line where he says, do you want to know what the odds of her are uh, shooting you with that gun are? They're high. Really high. <laughs> I mean, just and the acting, <laughs> the acting that he put into it and the, the way that the special effects people made the, the visual representation of K2 echo that performance was just so epic. And, and when the, the surprise, when she handed him the blaster, he just looked at it like, for real? Oh, we... Oh, this is happening for real? <laughs> it just It's like, girl, you just became my best friend. Exactly. And then he's I'm sorry how hard he worked to protect them and to save him and, and to save them and then just goes down K2 is my absolute favorite character in this movie over bar none. But close second is my man critic. And that's not just because the Cape game is on point even though that's a big part of it. Uh, but Krennic, uh, this uh, producer, uh, uh, Javier, uh, I forget his last name, but he worked on Lost. He was tweeting, he says, anybody, any line producer on a TV show knows what Krennic's going through because he's just trying to get the freaking mm. job done. And all of these people are telling him <laughs> these ridiculous, impossible things that screw up and slow down the work, and he's just trying to get this freaking project finished. And I was like, I could, rel- I mean, because I work, uh, I work as a project manager, so I could totally relate to. It. I was like, yeah, I've broken, I've broken my share of eggs to make some omelets. I won't deny that. <laughs> so I ain't shoot, I ain't shoot nobody's mama. I, I didn't do that. I'm going that far. But <laughs> so cr- it's like he just wants to be recognized for the hard work that if, he does, but nobody exactly. cares. If he could get one employee of the month plaque because there's like 27 Tarkins before him. If he could get one employee of the month plaque, he'd be all right. But he just can't get it. That's right. He just can't get it. And he works and he works. But, but what also was funny to me is that uh, everywhere he went, something went wrong. So I was like, shouldn't you start to notice that maybe you're the problem? <laughs> Literally everywhere you go, something goes wrong. I think you should check in with that. I think in his mind, he's the hero and like everyone else is just like ruining his exactly. day. Exactly. You know? And for, for him to see that last scene of him watching the Death Star rise of a scarab like, Oh, oh man! No. <laughs> it's just it, everything about his character's arc was perfect to me. I love, love, love Krennic, and I, I if it wasn't so hot at Comic Con, I would totally be cosplaying as him. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Now, who's your least favorite character? Uh, honestly, and I hate to say this because I'm, uh, as I said, I'm really glad to have uh, this character, Jen didn't stand up for me you know she lacked agency as a female character mm. many times she just kind of went with what was happening she made uh, the fact that she didn't think oh i should just grab this recording even though i'm freaking out you know uh, because the whole plan's coming to an end and oh right i actually have stuff that i'm doing you know there's so many times when she, i was just infuriated at her uh but because it was mm. a war movie and because i was swept along the plot i didn't really have time to get mad at her um but yeah, Jen is probably my least favorite character in the whole uh, uh, mess of it. And slightly behind her uh, would be, uh, what's the name, that general guy. The general uh, who ordered uh, Cassian to kill. was Because I'm like, you just, you, you're, oh, yeah. you're supposed oh, to be yeah. a military guy, but you're not even paying attention to the real military objectives. You're not paying attention to the best possible mm. things. Because if they're saying he's already made the weapon, then... Killing him isn't going to stop another Death Star because it clearly didn't. So, come on, fam. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, those, whenever yeah. I saw a character that was like, what, baby, what is you doing? That, that always makes me upset in the movie. And that, that automatically puts them near my, the bottom of my list. 
Yeah, that guy's name is General Draven. So, yeah, Draven. I can see that. Don't Classic be a Draven. Draven. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Draven. <laughs> okay, what do you think, Shannon? Who's your favorite? Who's your least favorite? Well, I guess I'll start with my least favorite because I am in full agreement with Hannibal, um, especially with Draven, because I literally like shout at the screen Draven? and like, if they already built it, why do you need to kill Galen? Like that makes no sense. And it just, uh, it, it irritates me to no end. And like, I want to like Jen, but there is, there's just not a lot there. And I feel like she has a story, but the way that her character is written it's going to take a lot to really like pull it out and make it something that you want to see. So she's kind of the one that I'm the least interested in knowing more about. But as far as my favorite characters, while I do really love K2SO, my salty robot, I do love him. My favorite one is probably a toss up between Bodhi and Cassian because Bodhi is my precious cinnamon roll that needs to be protected. Awesome. And oh my God, <laughs> like I just can't. Like he he just wanted to do good. He just, he wanted to turn his life around. And what happened? He gets blown up. And but tortured. at least he was trying. Don't forget tortured. And like, and tortured. That's true. Yeah, yeah. He got tortured by some crazy tentacle oh. monster. So, you know, he went through a lot. Born but Cassian, <laughs> Cassian is just somebody that, like, his story is really interesting to me. And I want to see more of that. And I know that in the novelization, we really get to see more of, like, his relationship with K2 and just kind of, like, how he sees what's going on. And I really wish that he was the main character. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like he goes through more than Jin does. Because Jin just getting dragged around through stuff, whereas Cassian has a lot at I'm stake curious, here. If I could ask mm. Shannon, if if you got more of the lines like "I'm a rebel, I rebel," if you'd got more of uh, of that sort of energy in Jin, do you think you'd have a different opinion of her? I do think so, yeah, because I, I did miss that line, too, of, you know, like, she, she was just, like, really, like, handing mm-hmm. it to him in the trailer, and then we get her, and she's just womp, not womp. really anything. I do still think, though, that if we saw her through Cassian's eyes, and maybe she was still, like, a little bit more awesome, then it'd be like, mm-hmm. all right, who's this girl? Like, I want to know her story. But instead, we just get these little bits and pieces of her, and we kind of understand where she's coming from, but there's just... You know, she she needed a little what bit do you more think, fire. You know they're having those animated shorts with female characters. Do you think you'll be able to get a better sense of her there? I certainly hope so. I know that there is a book out. I think it's called Rebel Rising that's about Jen. And I have heard that the common complaint is that she, does, she still doesn't Aww. really do too much. And that it's still not really... Like, the pacing just isn't right. So I'm hoping that maybe short form will be able to see it come out a little bit better because I do think that maybe like there's not a huge story there so just seeing it like in a short little bit and like a little short it'll make more sense we'll be able to really get Mm -hmm. to know Jen better yeah I um it's interesting on the Jen point because I I think Jen suffers too from basically having two other female characters that are becoming one of them becoming iconic the other one having been iconic for years but if you're if you're talking about Princess Leia, General Leia, and you're also talking about Rey, who I think is a fantastic character, Meh. I love the character of Rey. It's one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Meh. I really? love Rey. Oh, I, I really she, love Rey. She is a little a bit little? of a Mary Sue, but a I little? really love Rey. I just, I, you know, she knows more about the Force in one movie than Luke did in three. 
<laughs> but those space buns. Look at that really? hair. Is that what we're doing? Really? <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that, so I think that, like, I think, you know, the, the, other, the other two characters, they go through a wider range of emotions. Uh, we see kind of more of their backstory and are kind of rooting for them a little bit more than we see Jin, because like there is a lot of attention paid to some of the other characters, which is true of The Force Awakens too. But I just feel like Jin, I really want to like Jin, but I can't quite get there. She's definitely not my least favorite character, um, but she's not my favorite character. So I agree with you guys on that. And I'm not sure exactly what that was causing that. Um, so my least favorite character, I'm really sorry, Shannon, but my least favorite character is actually Cassian. Oh no! Um, yeah, I know it's such a bummer. I don't, I'm not, I'm not really sure why I don't like Cassian. Um, I do think that there's some parts about his character arc that seem a little abrupt to me. Like it seems like he's like, you know, I'm I'm gonna be all all rebellion all the time, and then I'm not caring about necessarily Jin or what she's doing and then I'm all in for what Jin's doing and I, I don't know there's something about that that I I don't know I don't I don't resonate with it so I, I don't even know I can't even give you a good reason honestly um, <laughs> but uh, Chirrut and Baze are probably my two favorites I just think that the interaction between them again again like if you if you cause me to choke up in a movie I don't ever choke up in movies so if you cause that I'm probably gonna like your character um, but I also love Saw Gerrera. I thought Saw Gerrera, um, I mean, oh, Forrest yeah. Whitaker is mm-hmm. amazing. So I'm, I'm <laughs> kind of always going to love what he does. But I thought his take on that character was super cool. And the way he was so paranoid mm-hmm. was awesome. So I like that a lot. Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market, better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what, I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. So, we've come to the film's ending. And actually, um, Shannon actually has a, has a, whole, a whole alternate <laughs> theory on this that she's done a video on. So if she wants to dive into that, we'll give her free reign to do so. But I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on Rogue One's ending. Do you love it? Do you hate it? And why? And Shannon, we'll start with you. Okay, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, I do have a theory where I talk about how Jin and Cassian might have survived Live. the end of Rogue One. And... <laughs> 
I know, I know. <laughs> Lots of people like to tell me how, you know, I'm totally wrong and all that kind of fun stuff, which they can totally tell me. But upon further inspection of Rogue Run, I do think that it's possible that they still could have survived, but Krennic is totally dead, so I, I do concede that point. However, I do like how it ended because it gives the movie so much gravity because these characters were willing to do whatever it takes for this rebellion and they do ultimately die for it and like the second that k2 died i was like oh no is this the direction (laughs) we're going and then it was just like completely downhill from there and i do think that shot at the end of the light overtaking jen and cassian is absolutely beautiful but you never know they might have survived the shot might not have hit them (sighs) you never know (laughs) <laughs> that's sad <laughs> so so you love the ending basically but even you're even playing with and by well, the way you can all go out and watch that youtube video it's on youtube yeah um see here's the thing i ship jen and cassian so hard yes oh they God. are now a ghost ship but I am a professional <laughs> fangirl. What do you expect? <laughs> so what, what would people search on YouTube if they want to hear your whole theory play itself out? Yeah, it's um, Jin and Cassian survived theory. Um, if you go on to Network 1901 on YouTube, it's under our playlist um, under theories. And it's also under um, Shannon's videos, too. Cool. Um, what about you, Hannibal? You like, do you love this ending? Do you hate it? How do you feel about it? I absolutely love the ending, but I will say you're absolutely wrong. Everybody's dead. <laughs> and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Okay, all right. Because uh, when, and, and I came to this when I first started watching Rebels. When I started getting involved with these characters, I'm like, oh my God, these are great characters. They're building them, blah, blah. I can't wait for them all to die. <laughs> because here's the thing. If uh, Jen, Cassian, Kanan, uh, Hera, if any of those people are alive from the first frame of of a new hope from the first frame then something's gone terribly wrong mm. because here's the thing uh, uh in uh it, it, when you see vader in the back to tank in rogue t- rogue one he's supposed to be coming out of that big t- fight at the end of season two of rebels where uh he fought uh what's the name uh, uh what's the name ahsoka and and the boy ezra in that sith temple and they dropped the whole temple on him so uh if it's that close to it, then I know we're really warming up to finish this off. We're really warming up to really get done here. And uh, that means that all of these characters have to die for us to move forward because if none of them were involved in the original trilogy, then that's weird. Hmm. Because all of them have a real motivation to be involved in the events of the galaxy that are happening here. And all of them have the capability and the skills, and not to mention the history, to really step in and make an impact. So the only way, the only Occam's Razor logical reason why they're not there is because they're dead. Hmm. So in the same way that I'm desperately, desperately waiting for the episode of Rebels when Vader puts his saber right through Ashoka's chest and right in her face, he sees her die, because I know that's going to be an amazingly dramatic scene. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, everybody had to die. And getting off Scarif is hard. (laughs) It would have been really hard for anybody. I mean, it would have been hard for a Force user to do. So yeah, I don't I don't believe anybody could have survived. I don't believe anybody should have survived because the Vader that was chopping through that ship, he wasn't gonna let anybody out. Mm. You know, 
Mm. The fact that Leia got away is a freaking miracle. And if he still had his arms, he could have stopped her ship. He was that powerful <laughs> in the Force. He still had his arms. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I do uh, agree with you. The ending is totally beautiful. They did, like, that is what needed to happen um, because they aren't around. But I still feel like there is this window where they could have gotten off Scarif and maybe they're <sighs> in hiding. You never know, man. You never know. You can you cannot I you can tell me I'm wrong all you want. I've heard all the theories. I've heard people just comment like um no and that's it. So, you know. Oh, Shannon. <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. It's worth your time to go listen to Shannon's theory because I I was so I'm Team Hannibal, just right off the bat. Like I, I want everyone to die. I'm as happy that they be. die. As it should yeah. be. Most people are Team Hannibal. Yes. Let's just get that out of the way. Yeah. As it should be. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's enough logic in what Shannon presents that it does make you go. Well, it made me go. I really hope that's not true. <laughs> but but there's enough logic there that she can back it up. So hey, there you go. That's right. I so logic my way out of it. I draw some nice pictures. You know? yeah. <laughs> classic Shannon. That's classic. <laughs> I know we do, we need to have a hashtag classic Shannon and we need to have a hashtag <laughs> you have a hashtag handable sigh. Because those two things <laughs> those two things are really good, man. It's podcast gold. Don't be a wig. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Okay, so I love the ending of this film. Um, my favorite kind of film, truly, is a tragedy that still makes me feel hope. Um, hope for whatever's beyond this world. Hope for whatever is going to happen next in this world. Uh, I just think that that is super cool whenever I encounter that in a film, um, which is not often because we don't really see tragedies much anymore because I think a lot of people would rather escape to films and books and things like that. And there's, a, there's certainly a place for that. But I think when we're hit with something like a tragedy, but we still feel hope, that is amazing. So I love the fact that everybody dies at the end of this film. Um, and I, I really hope that Shannon's wrong. But she does have a lot of logic in her theory. So go oh, check it out. logic. Yeah. Trust me, she's wrong. Trust me. <laughs> okay. So here's Hannibal's second question. Um, and this is a cool one too. Rogue One is a film that pops up in the dead center of two trilogies. And it ends with Leia holding the Death Star plans in her hand and claiming that the Rebellion still had hope. But we know what happens next through Legends, Canon, and most especially the original trilogy. And eventually we're going to see the result of Luke's journey in the original trilogy through The Force Awakens. Namely, there's a First Order, and the New Republic is struggling. So, Hannibal, I hope you've done your setup justice in saying, where are, were the heroes of the original trilogy, the Leia, Luke, Han, Mon, Mothma, etc., were they almost as bad as the Empire now that we see what happens in The Force Awakens? Did, did I do that question justice? Yes, sir. I'm ready <laughs> okay. to rock. Okay, so let's. I'll throw it to you first. Then, what do you think? All right. Well, through the entire Imperial period, with every super weapon they ever destroyed, they ever had, they destroyed one planet and one moon. That's it. The first day, the first day, the First Order decided to say, "Oh, we're a thing." They kill five planets and eliminate the central government of the New Republic in mm. a day. So, 
given that they are powered predominantly by the son of the general of the resistance, the hero of the rebellion, and the only surviving real Jedi left, these people failed in their mandate. They failed in their job to bring freedom and peace to the galaxy as well. Everything that they did, everything that they fought for, they essentially failed because 30 years later, they're still having the same fight. They're still fighting like Ben Folds 5, and that's not what we signed <laughs> up for. We signed up for something to go right, you know. If it was a different threat, even, uh, I hate even saying this out loud, even <laughs> if it was the Vuzon, Yuzon Vol, who I hate, uh, that at least would be a new thing. Not mm. these embarrassing cosplayers trying to pretend to be the Empire. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry. Throwing <laughs> some shade. Oh, oh, oh! I'm an I'm the king of umbrellas here. I'm ready for that. Oh. So, <laughs> so, wow, that's really fitting because our logo is an umbrella. <laughs> well, open it up because here we go. So, here we go. Uh, in that, I'm I'm concerned that Luke didn't want to take responsibility and ran away. Uh, that's the only way I can see it based on the facts that are in evidence right now. I may have, Rian Johnson may have something different to teach me in a few months. I don't know. But as of today, all I can see is Luke ran away from his responsibilities and let Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren happen. That's irresponsible. That Han, when faced with the thing, when the going got tough, he hit the road. And that's mm. irresponsible. Uh, mm. And that takes away all the resonance and the growth that they had as characters in the original trilogy that takes away all of the sacrifice and the fight if 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 you told jen urso that oh yeah 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 and the guy who ultimately blew up the death star that your dad built you remember how your dad died to put that hole in there yeah that guy chickened out and let five more planets die true story you think she'd go for that i don't think she would i don't think cassian would go for it i don't even think k2 would go for it so yeah I think the, the 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 rebel heroes of our youth, unless Disney's got an amazing rabbit to pull out of their hat thus far, are not living up to it. And I'm worried that's that cultural impact that I was talking about. That they've become too dirtied by the zeitgeist of our modern times and the presidency of forty five and all the other craziness that's going on to actually get it right anymore. To mm. actually believe in the power of myth and to create that myth and proliferate it. Hmm. Interesting. Shannon, what do you think? Yeah, so I think I just found the root of my problems with the original trilogy because I am a huge sequel trilogy fan. Um, so the way I've seen it is that it is really interesting because these three were such heroes and they won the day. And then when we open with The Force Awakens, we see that everything they fought for just completely did not work out the way, the way that they wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And from what I've seen in the beginning of Bloodlines, their go at the New Republic just dissolved into more stalemates. Nothing was getting done. Nobody was listening to each other. And that allowed this group of people to rise up. And that became the First Order. And what's interesting about this is that they talk about how like Leia sees it coming. And yet she can't stop it. I mean, I haven't finished the book, so I don't know how hard she tries, but after seeing what happens with Kylo Ren, with Ben, 
I start to wonder, you know, how hard, you know, did she try? How hard did Luke try? Like, where was Han? Like, when Snoke was preying on this young boy and making him turn to the dark side, like, where were our heroes? Like, why did this happen? So I do kind of agree. Like, were, like, Leia, Luke, and Han, like, are they really the people that we thought that they were? Or has, you know, time kind of wore them down to the point where they don't really know what like how to help anymore yeah i will say those are two super interesting takes and this it goes it kind of goes back to our question about um cassian in some ways because you know there's there's two elements when it comes to allowing ourselves to judge whether or not something was successful right because you know it gets back to does the end justify the means and then also like but did you actually do it Right. So you actually have to be in order to be successful, you actually have to accomplish your goal. But then the question is, do the ends justify the means? And I think it's interesting to ask this question, because when I first read it, my first thought was, oh, yeah, clearly they have not been upholding their end of the bargain. Like something has gone wrong. Um, The second thought I had was I'll give them some degree of grace only because to topple uh, a, a galactic empire has to create mass confusion and being able to form a government out of that would be virtually impossible and you'd have all these separate solar systems trying to grab power i'm i'm sure that that would happen but the fact that they were not able to rally everyone behind them and try to get like a bigger group of people to come together is really disconcerting to the entire reason the rebellion exists in the first place so i love that you're pointing that out hannibal um I took the question as as more of like a would I so if I chose them based on the res, if I judge them based on the result of their merit, then I agree that they have really not upheld their end of the bargain. Um, in fact, we would all we would say like in your question is are they almost as bad as the Empire? Well, we'd say Palpatine probably actually did a better job of getting his vision achieved than mm-hmm. these guys did. Had a heck of a um, run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I think I would also simultaneously say I do feel like these people were motivated by the right things. They did. So in other words, Palpatine and you guys, you guys mentioned this earlier, but Palpatine is selfishly motivated. Mm-hmm. Like he's saying like, yeah, peace and security, blah, blah, blah. That's a total <laughs> smokescreen to the fact that he just wants unlimited power, as we talked mm-hmm. about. But I think the rebels truly do are they're truly not out for themselves so to speak they believe in a better galaxy that would be more free more democratic something that would encourage people to be able to live out their lives the way that they wanted to live out their lives so it's interesting because when i took the question i'm like oh yeah from a merit standpoint they really don't end up in a good place at all Mm -hmm. Uh, i might give them a little bit of grace thinking like yeah it'd be hard to overcome the empire anyways but i do give them credit for at least putting others before themselves or at least equal with themselves along the way whereas i wouldn't give that credit to the empire well i mean i look at because uh there's a george michael line that says uh the fallen dreams of hell heaven but what the hell are you supposed to do when they come true mm-hmm. and the fact that it doesn't seem like for all the decades that mon mothma was in charge of the rebellion she had a you know day one plan like okay afterwards this is what we're going to do uh, mm-hmm. Other than return to the old Senate structure, which, oh, by the way, also created Palpatine. Right. Duh. Did not learn from history. <laughs> not right. learning. 
So <laughs> um, the fact that the rebellion was so, as, as you said, so focused on that one goal that they didn't look to what do we do if we actually win? What do we do afterwards? And how it would affect, like the, the character from uh, um, the new Battlefront game, how it would affect places where the empire actually succeeded where you know the transports were on time and food you know what happens to uh if if the empire was you know making sure oh well this place is only going to work if these transports get here on time but the transports aren't coming anymore there's no more empire but where are we going to get food how are we going to survive what's going to happen to us you know that sort of thinking wasn't done and that worries me that kind of sloppiness because again working in corporate america i see it all the time it's like let's just do this one thing and get this out of the way i'm like no no let's not just do this one thing let's fix everything <laughs> let's look right. at it comprehensively and fix everything so we don't we're not back here three months later like oh crap we really should have done that thing Absolutely. yeah that really makes me think of um i know you said that you were just getting into doctor who mm-hmm. um the 12th doctor's war speech in the zygon mm-hmm. invasion mm-hmm. which For any of you who, even if you're not a Doctor Who fan, go watch this speech on YouTube because it is amazing. Mm -hmm. And it, I always think about it every time because he's like, once you, like, once you get what you want, like, once everything's exactly how you got it, you you overthrew the bad guys, all that stuff. What are you gonna do with the people like you, who aren't happy with the way you're doing things? Mm -hmm. Like, well, you know, are like, what are your people going to do? Are you gonna have violins? Who's gonna make the violins? Like, why aren't you planning for this future? You're only Mm. planning to take down this force. But what are you gonna do if you win? And I don't think they had that in mind. Hashtag no more wigs. No more wigs. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So, guys, I have a disappointing thing to say. We're down to our last question. We've been having way too much fun. I know, I know. So building on this central theme of hope that was that was essential to what um, what your question, Hannibal, kind of Mm -hmm. facilitated. What about Rogue One is hopeful? And then what does hope mean to you? And I'll start with you on this one, Hannibal. Well, this one actually is the most personal thing of all. It uh, Rogue One, in the same way that A New Hope did for me, it shows that you can be a nothing nobody from a backwater planet that nobody's ever heard of and you know completely obscure, and you can rise to take down an empire. You can do anything. And that kind of uh, arc as a character for Jyn Erso, for uh, Luke Skywalker, even from Anakin, Scott, Anakin from slavery to you know becoming the hero and ultimately then uh, villain of, of of the Republic, is enormously inspiring. It gives people the idea that you know don't let your current circumstance dictate what your final story will be. That that mm. you still have time to write that, and that kind of self determination, that's that kind of uh, uh, personal initiative and really personal responsibility is enormously important to me. It's something that I try to convey to my kids that uh, I tell them all the time. I can save you from anything but you. Hmm. There's no hero or villain of the story. There's just you. You got to figure this out. So uh, in that, it, it gives me, looking at this movie, it, it shows Jenna Erso coming from nowhere to essentially take this group of assassins and murderers and saboteurs or whatever and give them a chance to really make an impact. Whereas before they were sniping at the heels of the Empire. But after Scarif, you know, in the same way that the First Order made their impact by blowing up five planets, (laughs) (laughs) after Scarif, the Emperor took the rebellion much more seriously. He would have to. They had never struck him at home before. Not that hard. 
they threw a freaking Star Destroyer into another Star Destroyer into a shield. <laughs> oh my god. So, yeah, and none of that happens if you don't get, you know, that one one woman from that smudged up stormtrooper running guard duty who doesn't know if we're doing another pickup. None of that happens without that. Awesome. So I rebel. <laughs> so I rebel. Yes, yeah. yes. I love it. What do you think, Shannon? How about what does hope mean for you? Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, and what I see in this movie, looking at it kind of from a smaller perspective, if you just take, um, like, let's say Bodhi in particular, it shows that at any point, you can turn your life around. It is in your hands. Like, your life is yours for the making, and nobody's mm-hmm. going to make you do anything and if like if you want to you know fight for what's right you want to fight for truth and justice you can do that nobody is making you stay in your situation at any point you can pick yourself up and turn your entire Mm -hmm. life around and i think that is really really inspiring to a lot a lot of people especially like you know in in my age right now i'm going through a lot of big life changes. I'm going to be, you know, graduating next spring um, from college. And it's like, you know, what am I doing? Where am I going? And it's kind of really weird. But it all comes down to me because like, I am the maker of my own story. And I do think that Rogue One really shows that and they really show that you can do anything that you set your mind to as long as you believe in what it is you're doing. You're one with the force. And the force is with me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with you guys. For, for me, too, this movie, it when I think of hope, I can think of hope on three separate levels. So I can think of hope on the um, physical level, right? Like we have these burdens that we have, like um, the empire, for example, and we need to band together to be able to defeat some of these things. And like you guys are saying, like, it's all on us to do that. Like we are, we have to take action, um, when action is called for. Uh, so the physical world and overcoming evil in the physical world is super important. And we have a hope for that, which I think is amazing. Um, but it actually goes beyond that for me because it's sort of a trifecta of hope. Um, because I also think that this, shows that we can overcome our distrust of others and eventually build bridges where trust can flourish and and bond together emotionally as a community. So it's not just in the physical hope, there's actually a hope for more intimacy and the ability to come together as a, as a as people um to either overcome things or just support one another. Uh so I think that's amazing. Um, the one that really solidifies it, though, and I've talked about this a little bit already, but the the actual spiritual element as well. So there's this actual spiritual component where, and it's very connected to reality, right? It's not just something that's like, okay, there's a spiritual thing that exists. That's, that's like whatever. It's like outside of the realm of something that I could connect with, which is what we, I think, experience with the Jedi sometimes. But in this in this movie, what we see is that the spirituality of the characters is very connected to their actual reality. Um, and so when we see the characters praying or if we see like other, even other characters meditating, like there's this, they need emotional and physical support and that drives them to, to a spiritual element of their character, which I think is just super cool. It's very hopeful. Um, and just as a final thought, like when the movie ends, you see Leia holding the Death Star plans. 
Um, but it's not just that the Death Star will be destroyed by Luke. It's that the entire Empire will eventually be crushed. That Luke will achieve his goals of becoming a Jedi. That Han and Leia will find love. Um, and maybe most importantly of all, Darth Vader, the same character we saw go through his arc in the prequels, will turn from the dark side to eventually defeat the Emperor. Um, so I think we have that to look forward to. And then, of course, we have all of our dreams crushed with Force Awakens, and we see that the hope wasn't that <laughs> I was great. Say, that's, that's an interesting word yeah. that you stopped there. Except I was like, that's oh, yeah. all my dreams come true. I know. I had to stop there. I had to stop. You guys have convinced me that we need to stop right there. Uh, but no, I, I think I think that like that's a huge part of it for me. And the fact that the characters, basically all of them die, which is tragic, I do not feel tragedy at the end. I mean, obviously I'm mourning for their characters, but I actually feel physical, emotional, and spiritual hope. And that's pretty amazing for a movie to be able to get, to communicate that. Mm -hmm. So any final thoughts on Rogue One? Mm, Hashtag Jin and Cassian best ship. It will sail forever. uh, No matter what (laughs) Hannibal says. (laughs) Hashtag Hannibal sigh. (laughs) <laughs> hashtag k2 is my patronus <laughs> i think we're all in agreement on that <laughs> yeah exactly that's awesome cool well why don't you guys give a shout out to where people can find you and follow you so that they can go out and um, keep the conversations going all right well ladies first of course Oh, well, of course, of course. Yes. So um, you can follow me personally at McCarter Shannon on Instagram and Twitter. And then you can follow the network at Network1901 basically on everything we do. Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all kinds of everything. So, yeah, check us out for more fangirl content. (laughs) Just for me. (laughs) How about you, Hannibal? Oh, well, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as Hannibal Taboo, all one word. Uh, you can find my column every week on comic book resources, The Bipile. It's every Thursday by about 11.30 Pacific Standard Time, which reviews somewhere between 40 and 70 uh, comics a week. Uh, I've been trying to slow down in my old age, but I don't know if I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> Also, as I noted on Operative.net, every week on Monday and Wednesday, you will get two free web comics, and those will be running throughout the year. So I'm having a good time with that as well. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming on. It has been a pleasure, and it was a, such a fantastic conversation. So thank you for coming on the Story Geeks podcast. Happy to do it. Yeah, that was awesome. That is it for today's podcast. Now it's time for you to share your thoughts on today's topic. Write us an email at hi at reclamationsociety.org or head over to one of our social media accounts and get in touch with us there. Links are in the show notes. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, write us a review or share this episode with one of your geek friends. All right, fellow geeks. As always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.